Tuesday night on the fan pregame, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590 fan, Alish Borvar, Justin Cuthbert, a couple games on the network tonight, Edmonton and Chicago up on 8.30 at Sportsnet, of course. Oilers on a seven-game winning streak. It would have been the rematch of Connor versus Connor, but we're going to have to wait on that one. Uh, Raptors late West Coast game versus LeBron and the Lakers. That's on Sportsnet 590, the fan at 10 p.m., two regional games with Canucks and Islanders and Sense and Flames. Leafs also back in action at home versus Sharks tonight. Coming off Willie's $92 million contract. We also have updated NHL All-Star voting standings. Two days left to vote. Some superstars currently on the ballot. Some on the outside looking in. We'll let you know how to vote and when to vote. David Amber is going to join us in studio at 6.30 to preview tonight's action. We're going to have Jason Bukla Join us momentarily. We've got a lot to get through in our hour-long show. And the big one is what's been going on with the Flyers and the Ducks. And we'll lead with that, of course, with Jason because he's given us a bit of a prospect breakdown because we know there's a lot of drama. But two major players exchange teams, and we're going to get a little bit of a breakdown on maybe winners and losers, but what projections to come. I mean, we're going to get through all of the Jason Bukla thoughts, but Justin Cuthbert thoughts are what? Uh, I mean, it really is the story that we didn't know we needed, the drama we didn't know we needed. Mm. Like, Seriously. If, we, if either of you or you or I had Cutter Goche or Jamie Drysdale takes uh, on this show, uh, I mean, I guess we've been saving them for, for a special day because uh, that's not normally something that we would be all over. Mm-hmm. But these two guys kind of thrust in the spotlight here, and especially Cutter Goche, who comes off the World Junior Tournament, <laughs> A very, uh, I don't want to say arrogant, I don't want to say cocky, but a very uh, spirited. exuberant, spirited, spirited sort of side from the Americans winning the gold medal there. But yeah, I think Elliot Friedman added another layer to the conversation mm-hmm. with this trade, sort of talking about, you know, turning pro at the end of last season. Cutter Goche had that opportunity, or at least it was presented to him, but the Flyers couldn't do it at the time because of bonuses or mm-hmm. overages they would have had to pay. And that's that brings up the topic of like treatment of your prize prospects or those who you invest top capital in. And this is an interesting way to go about it if you're Danny Briere and Keith Jones because, yeah, usually you treat those prospects, top five picks, lottery guys like gold. And, and I'm not sure they did that based on Elliot's reporting. So, yeah, let's bring in Jason Bukla to talk about this a little bit more. And, Jason, uh, uh, the sensitivities over an NCAA exit are something is something that's interesting to me, right? Because it's such a big decision. You don't get to reverse that decision. If you decide to leave your college program, well, you can't go back, right? So h- how does that play into the decision-making and the trust and maybe specifically with this cutter Goche philadelphia Flyers issue? Because, yeah, if they're just you know encouraging you to leave school but not giving you a contract, to me, that feels like it would be problematic and maybe would help dissolve the trust you'd want to have between a prospect and a team guys i have to be honest like i I, i'm sitting back and i'm listening to everything that i've heard today and uh last night shocked me uh, a lot i I gotta be honest with you right out of the gate because i just got back from gothenburg i was there um i was sitting you know three rows away from uh, all my colleagues and the on the tour if you will and danny briere and keith jones were four rows in front of me and you know, it's one thing that I have to say is it was interesting how this was kept under wraps as well as it was, uh, which is a good thing. It's a positive. But in the big picture here, um, I'm perplexed. And I'm, I can only go by my past experience. And, and it is like this. Um, every step of the way after you select a player. So our strategy in Florida when I was uh, the director of scouting there was simple. 
we select the player and we know what his development path is going to be in well in advance. So if he's going through the U.S. National Team Development Program and he's going to go to BC or BU or wherever he's going, or if he's going to the uh, uh, maybe a pit stop in the USHL for a year, for example, that could be something else before his clock starts at the college level. The point I'm trying to make is that it was always fluid. I would hand it off to Brian McCabe, who would run our, our player development and uh, obviously our first development or the, that prospect's first development camp. The lines of communication will always be open. Um, so to get this far down the road um, a year and really two years later with all these types of moving parts and a lack of strategy and a lack of uh, um, kind of a straight line, if you will, I'm, I'm confused. I feel like I don't know the whole story. I don't believe that an NHL franchise um, puts a, an athlete in a position to say, uh, we want you to come out of school, but oh, by the way, we we were worried about overages or, or you know cap ramifications and, and what, like you got to have your ducks in order at the NHL level before you even go to have that conversation with the athletes. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, it stinks on a lot of levels. Uh, the good news for the Flyers is they get a great player in return. Um, the better news maybe for Anaheim down the road is that they have a real nice piece to add to that developing core that they have. You mentioned strategy and like having a plan and it being fluid and all that, but like. Just on a general level, how different is it dealing with the NCAA player versus the one that comes up maybe in a more uh, conventional manner, at least maybe through Canada? Like, is it that much different, that much that needs to be thought about? Is it just a more complicated process? I'm going to answer it two different ways. And, and Alish, maybe you can agree with this. Like, when you have these American athletes who have dreamt about playing at the highest level for their sport, like an American athlete coming through, they want to go play college hockey. Okay, like like that's their dream. They want to go play at BC or wherever they want to play. In Canada, you know, our kids go to the CHL. Maybe that's their goal. And and you know, that's just the way they grab graduate and gravitate through the system. We know well in advance when we select a player that what the risk is involved in he's gonna fall in love with the school, he's gonna fall in love with wanting to win there. We want all that stuff, all those good feeling things to happen. We want all that stuff to happen, but at the same time. We also want him to be in the right space for us going forward, communicating that, you know, we want you. Do you still want us? And here's the strategy. If after your junior year, I'm looking the kid in the eyes and I'm getting the heebie-jeebies a little bit, I'm going to Dale Talon, my GM at the time, and saying, Dale, get prepared to move on this kid because if we let him sit into his junior year without a deal with us, we're losing all control over the scenario. It happened to us with Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman is a Toronto native. He was a Florida Panther draft. He walked us to, to water there at the end of his senior year at, at Michigan. I don't blame him for wanting to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. What I blame him for, or what I was a little bit perplexed about, blame's the wrong word. I don't want to use that word. I was perplexed about the process. Let's just have an open dialogue here. Don't say, A, yes, I want to be a Florida Panther, and then move on You know, in May and say, you don't, now I'm trading your rights at the draft because I know you want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Um, as soon as you get to the junior senior year, it's all. I mean, it's a it's a crapshoot. I'm not going to lie to you, um, but some of these kids they they get to the school and if they're not real comfortable with where they're going next, they love it there, Alish. They want to stay, and uh, I hate to see them go there to the junior year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have definitely a lot of experience uh, with the NCAA lore. Um, I had my school was pretty close to BC and BU. So I know exactly how those athletes uh, enjoyed playing, representing that city, that town, that jersey. Like there is a 
a certain cult mentality that sucks you in. I mean, I was an NCAA athlete. There's lots of luxuries with that. Uh, I know the women's side a little bit different, uh, but I, I totally understand the difficulties that you probably had to deal with. And I think it's worth asking, Ailish, like, mm-hmm. would it be offensive to you if someone's telling you to give up on what you have mm-hmm. without the assurances of what we can provide you, right? And I think that could be what happened here with Goche. And if, knowing you and knowing how much you love the school and how much you love that experience, like, I feel like that would be something that would bother you if you were in the same shoes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you, you mentioned it, Jason. Like, there is a, there's, like, a pride and joy in being there. But when you get there for a little longer, maybe you're just, like, hooked in the comfort level as well. And, like, that's, I mean, I'm not on the edge of making NHL money either. Like, that's just a different world for the women's game. But to be maybe uh, tempted with something and then not getting that assurance or that delivery would, I mean, it would scare me. And I'm not uh, a guy that's going to be able to make millions of dollars potentially in his future. I know you said it stinks on a couple levels. I, I want to ask you about... The Flyers on the attack last night, uh, right after this trade, you know, being very public about this not being something uh, that they liked. They tried to get in touch with them. They went to Sweden. They tried uh, to make communication happen, and he didn't want to play there. And to be very clear right from the beginning that he didn't want to be there. I wonder um, how that just reflects on the organization, how this reflects on towards Breyer, Keith Jones, to really come out and say what they said. Um, I mean, they're pretty steadfast in their side of the story. And, I, I mean, they're well getting great player in return, as you mentioned. But there's a, an interesting PR move here, it feels like. Listen, there's still a dent on the hood of the car, right? Like, it doesn't feel great here. Like, this this doesn't feel good to them. It's a PR move on their part. I get it. I feel bad for them on on, on the level that um, I don't – I'm not privy to all the information, but I feel bad for them because I, I think they really were selling to the fan base or selling the potential of a high-end prospect that's going to be a big part of the rebuild in the future. I get that part. Um, what I don't like about all of this here – and I really just want to try and dummy it down for our listeners and our viewers. If an NHL team drafts a player, generally speaking, not generally speaking, we always ask the questions at the combine. How many years do you think you're going to need at the college level to develop before you're ready to be a pro? And the answer will be whatever it is. And then we're going to say, well, okay, well, here's our thinking on our player development timeline. And then we're going to come together with some sort of a uh, understanding, if you will, as it progresses from there, and it becomes what it became last night. Um, you know, it's as as good as as nice a story as it was that everything was kept so quiet. It was also kind of unfortunate that the rest of it had to be displayed, come out and display last night as well, isn't it? Because you got Drysdale moving in now, and he's got to deal with that outside noise. He doesn't ask for that. Um, I don't know. I'm a little bit torn. Like these guys get paid big dollars. I'm not feeling sorry for anybody. It's the NHL. I get it. I just. Uh, there was this huge breakdown of communication somewhere along the line here. If somebody wants to man up and own it, get on the job and do that. If not, let's just uh, let's just say nothing for a while and let it go away. Uh, despite uh, what the Flyers had to deal with, maybe it, it was partly self-inflicted, but there was two sides to this. Clearly, uh, they were able to manage or they were managed uh, to swing a, a pretty impressive deal, an interesting deal at that, and acquire a really good prospect in, in Jamie Drysdale. I know Jamie Drysdale's played at the highest level for a few years now. Maybe some of the shine knocked off just a little bit. 
I got to admit, I'm not watching every Anaheim game, but I I think there were maybe more expectations than what he's provided, but that might be a little bit unfair. So I'll just flip it to you. Like, tell us about these two prospects, one a little bit more experienced than the other at the NHL level and how the Flyers did turning a number five overall pick into someone a little older who's also thought of as someone who could be, you know, a serious part of a, a team's future. So with Drysdale, he's he's had a lot of stop and go in his game just because of injuries. He's he's dealt with some injuries here that's kind of held him back for the last year and a half. Um, what you're getting here, though, if I'm a Philadelphia Flyer fan, you're getting a transition transitional defenseman, hundred percent of the time. Like this isn't a two way transitional guy. This is a transitional guy. So he moves the puck and he's going to open space, looking to get it back, giving going the neutral zone, joining it as an extra layer distributor in the offensive zone. He's not a shooter. He's going to walk the line. He's going to make plays. He's a light defender. I call him an area defender. He is kind of built like a fire truck. Like he's 5'11", 190 or something like that. So he's, he's put together a little bit, but he's not that bumper. You know what I mean? He's not going to punish you. So he's an area defender. Um, here's the thing, and, and I don't want to dummy down the prospect because I do believe in this prospect, especially because he's the right shot. We're going to sit here, the three of us, and talk in the next two months, right shot D towards the NHL trade deadline. I mean, they're worth their weight in gold, aren't they? Especially if they can produce offense. I don't want to dummy this kid down, but this isn't a 1A uh, power play quarterback. He's a really good player. But don't be don't be misled to believe. If he gets to 70 points in his career, I will be really happy for the Flyers, really happy for the player. But I see him more as a 55-point guy, 60-point guy in his ceiling, average-plus defender, and he's going to have to learn how to block some shots and uh, play with more detail defensively under Torch's system. Anaheim's young center depth is very intriguing. They got Leo Carlson, Trevor Zegers, Mason McTavish, Cutter Gauthier now. Um, I did want to ask you about Trevor Zegers a little bit more because we're hearing now it could be on the market. But when you look at that depth, is it great? Is it good? Is it pending more analysis? Potentially great. Like really potentially great. You got a mix of um, speed, skill, will. You know, like Leo Carlson's a big rig. Cutter's a big rig. The good thing about both those guys is that they can play the wing too, guys. So, like, if you get into a situation where you need a win on the road and you're talking late March, let's just use it as an example, and you got to kind of rejig the puzzle a little bit, load up on your top nine, these guys are familiar with playing different roles and they'll do some heavy lifting in the hard areas. Um, so I, I like what they're doing there. Big and strong down the middle is uh, is a winning formula. Uh, long-term, uh, they got some great defensemen there, too. The goaltending is going to have to come in Anaheim because Gibson's going to, you know, work his way out. And Gossel's, you know, a maybe as a one. So uh, we'll see how it all goes. But down the middle there, boy, do they have options. And they're going to be very good sooner than later. How do you view Trevor Zegras specifically? Because uh, we're hearing a little bit now in terms of maybe GM Pat Rubik has been talking about him being available, possibly uh, this trade deadline. I know he was really close friends with his, his buddy that's out the door now. Him himself uh, and what he could do and what he has done. Trevor Zegras, let's think back to two, three, four years ago, even when we're talking about William Nylander in Toronto. Okay, you know all those nights where we're like, this guy is all world. I love him. I love his swagger. He can take over a shift, take over a game. But he also, you know, falls asleep off the puck or, you know, uh, pulls up short of the goal line on a forecheck in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. These types of things, you know. Um, Zegras, for all of his video game antics and outstanding skill and, uh, and swagger, like you can really build – uh, a community around this type of personality, right? Like it is good for the team. It's good for the environment. 
but he's got a lot of growing up to do a lot of nhl growth as a player has to happen there um i wouldn't trade him away for all the tea in china i think that this kid is like he's super elite you can't teach that what we can hopefully do is uh, allow him to mature within our confines and make him a better a better player within the way we want to play in terms of the value on those four centers that they have, uh, quickly here, Jason, where does Zegris land? Like, is Carlson ahead of him on the depth chart? Does Cutter Goche come in and be a more interesting prospect in terms of, like, the projections? Is Mason McTavish, like, is Zegris number four on that list of centers for them? Uh, so Zegris could end up being a specialty player. Like, yeah. he could be a three at even, he could be a three at even strength, which might give you some really good matchups, especially on the road, you know, because he might be able to go to work and not have a, a heavy lift defensively. But he's obviously going to be a one on your power play, and he's going to roll out in overtime, all that other kind of stuff. Those other two guys, though, like Carlson and McTavish, Carlson is going to be like leaning. Uh, I don't want to say he's like like a Barkov or a Kopitar, but you understand those bigger kind of bodies that will be able to wear people down and play the game differently. He's that. McTavish is a bulldog, like Bergeron bulldog type of a guy. So that's where I'm saying that nice mix. If you can get this guy to grow up a little bit. Boy, like your coach, if he's he's got some savvy, he's going to get some great matchups for this guy to go to work. Okay, so we got a great game on the network tonight. Edmonton at Chicago. It would be admittedly a little bit better uh, if Connor Bedard was able to be the other equation of, of the Connor puzzle here. Uh, but he's out with that broken jaw. Um, but it does provide us a line where we can sort of evaluate what he was able to do in the first half of his rookie season or what will amount to the first half of his rookie season uh, did he meet expectations, exceed expectations for you, Jason? Like, how do you evaluate what you saw for the first two months or so uh, from Connor Bedard? So through the process of watching this kid grow up as a as a prospect, you know, Sammy and I, when we would meet with the, the Sammy Cosentino, when we meet with this kid and he'd walk out the, the door, we'd be like, that kid is like, there's how, how is he only 16 years old? You know what I mean? Like, you know, I've got a, I've got a 16 year old sitting in my, in my front room waiting for me to cook dinner right now where <laughs> this guy's out there, you know, he could be making millions of dollars. So what I'm trying to tell you is that his maturity is beyond belief. And I think that what I'm most impressed about besides the skill set, guys is just how he's carried himself and handled himself through some um, unique distractions, let's just say, and, and never skipped a beat, you know, like he's done a fantastic job of trying to eliminate outside noise we're lucky. This is the next wave. This is going to be a $15 million player. He would have been the Calder all day long. I hope he's not going to be out long term. He's far exceeded what I thought he could do offensively because let's be honest, like uh, right now in Chicago, what are you looking at? Felino, Dickinson, Bedard? Like, you know, this isn't a juggernaut for that kid mm-hmm. to do what he does. Uh, yeah, having to take on a lot might be the, the most you can say about him. Like, he's just kind of filled that role, uh, unlike really any other prospect probably could, at least coming into the league uh, this year. Uh, everyone on the Oilers, everyone on the other side, pretty well-defined, right? Uh, but this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Um, do they have enough in the system to make something happen uh, before the deadline for you? And, and what is it that they need, in your opinion? Well, the goaltending is still a question mark for me. Um, you know, the Jack Campbell situation is going to have to resolve itself. I think it already has, to be honest with you. I don't think, I don't see this as a fit uh, for for the group. And I think it would really affect the psyche of the team, if you will, if that came back into the dressing room, which is, a that could be a problem. Um, so goaltending, you know, a year ago, we were talking D. I'm looking at the goaltending. I don't know what's going to be out there. Um, and, you know, that marketplace, you know, the Jake Allens, the James Reimers of the world, even the John Gibsons in Anaheim, who looks like he could use a, 
a change of scenery. Well, he's on the books for a couple more years at 6 million guys. And that's a tough ask, right? So um, I like the group. I think that uh, they got a lot of potential. Um, I like the, 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 I like, I, I think that they can win a round or two. The goaltending scares me. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. I'm scared about the goaltending and uh, that's just the bottom line. I don't, uh, they need an upgrade in net. I don't trust it. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he stops enough because there's, there, there is a recent history. Darcy Kemper didn't have to be all world in Colorado. He just had to be good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So if all you, if you can be good enough, I think that the rest of that surrounding in, in, in Edmonton has enough going for it. Uh, that there are maybe even Aiden Hill a more recent uh, explanation of being Aiden just Hill. good enough right just good enough get you through uh, to the Logan cup. Thompson was playing uh, CIS at Brock yep. you know like it's incredible it's an incredible <laughs> start uh, I just have one quick one before we let you go I know you've been uh, contributing to Sportsnet's latest the 25 NHL trade candidates to watch two months from the deadline that's up on .ca of course uh, just in general which Canadian team do you expect to be the most active at the trade deadline Oh, great question. <laughs> that, that, like that, and it's going to be a quick answer, which is even better. I can get out of here quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a Calgary Flames for different reasons than the Toronto Maple Leafs or the mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks or whoever else. Um, I think that I'm at this stage now with the Calgary Flames that uh, after the loss of Chicago recently, um, they've exhausted me. They've exhausted me. I, I've tried to believe. i tried to believe. I buy in. And then they hurt my feelings. And then, you know, like they, then they regroup for a couple of weeks. But um, I just think that, that that organization needs a reset. And I'll double down on that, guys, uh, with a new rank coming way out the horizon. I know people don't like to hear it, but as you start to regurgitate your your, your, your pool, your draft capital, your, your prospects coming through, you want to be a good team when you hit the uh, ice in your new building. What's for dinner at the Bukala house tonight? I don't know. Well, mom's mom's not. It might be craft dinner for this kid just because <laughs> I, I got this NCAA thing. Going. I don't even know if I have craft dinner in the house, so I don't know. Just some butter I'm and partial. noodles, eh? Just carb load. That's I love butter and noodles and parmesan cheese. It's way better than the red sauce. That is a go-to in this household. All right, right well, we'll be uh, we'll be home. Uh, we'll be coming over in about an hour, so leave us some on the doorstep. All right. <laughs> Appreciate your time tonight, Jason. Uh, all the best, and we'll definitely chat soon. Busy a uh, couple weeks yeah. coming up. Yeah, nice to see you guys. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. You as well. Thanks so much. Jason Bukla, Sports and NHL analyst and scout. Loves a good butter noodle. <laughs> it's, it's a good meal. It's, it's a good, well, it's it's well a good carb load. It's he's got a 16-year-old, well, he said. That guy's probably well putting down so much. I like how so he's like much. peering at, <laughs> yeah. at the 16-year-old. He's like, what do you want to eat? <laughs> Steak? We don't it's have that. It's not going to be that good, kid, oh, uh, but we'll cute. manage. Uh, quickly on the Oilers, mm-hmm. because... They've been great. Like they are, we we stopped talking about them as much once they once they got good the again. Eh? It was but less yeah, fun. <laughs> it just seems like you know orders kind of been restored since the Chris Knobloch hire. Seventeen and six, second best record uh, in terms of points percentage mm-hmm. in the NHL. They had the second worst record points percentage before that hire. But I don't think we can just like put it on coaching because there's two simple things that have changed and and the rest of it's kind of stayed the same. I mean, you look at the underlying numbers. Before the trade or before the coaching change, everything was pretty good. Like top mm-hmm. five across the board, meaningful possession metrics and things that you you would use to measure performance. But what has changed, 11th best goaltending for the Oilers since Knobloch took over. They had the worst goaltending in the lead yep. before that. And really, maybe the most strong, the strongest factor, although it's hard to top goaltending, Connor McDavid is just the league's most productive player again. 5.47 points per 60 minutes, nearly a point higher than Nathan McKinnon's in the pole position for the Hart Trophy. Before that... 
Connor McDavid, who was probably pretty injured and affected by that, was having his career worst pr- production. Mm-hmm. He's a very small sample, but he was about two and a half points per 60 minutes, and that is way, way down compared to what you're used to. So McDavid, right? Goaltending, adequate? <laughs> Anyone could coach it when you have those court- those uh, type of splits, and I don't want to like diminish what Knobloch's mm-hmm. done because clearly he's has a, had a positive influence, uh, but sometimes it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as a new voice in the room, right? And and whether he had the relationship with Connor McDavid that just reignited him or just the idea that we've hit rock bottom, we got to change our coach, and we got to move forward. I mean, there was nowhere backwards to go when you were the Oilers at that point. Um, so Other than being worse than the San Jose Sharks. But, they, were, uh, they were jockeying. They were close. They were. Now they're nowhere close. Leafs are facing the Sharks tonight. Again, Martin Jones getting another start tonight against San Jose. You're talking about how great cold ending can change a team. Well, that's what's happened with the Maple Leafs. You know, he's got five in a row. This is his fourth start in eight days. And his numbers have been amazing. The Leafs without Samsonov, when you look at their uh, save percentage, is 922, leading the league. Best in the league when you eliminate Ilya Samsonov. So Joseph Wall and Martin Jones have done a lot of heavy lifting. He's, you know, obviously that three-game California road trip was great for Martin Jones, second star in the NHL. He only had two goals against. I mean, they're not playing, you know, the juggernauts of the league, but consistency is what we want from Martin Jones. We've seen that. Uh, today, Brad Trey Living and Sheldon Keefe saying that Ilya Samsonov Practice with the Marlies today. His future still remains unclear, so we'll see if he gets in there. But Jones again tonight. It's another big start for him against his old team. But he's just shown nothing but just composure. And, and truly pedal to the floor right now for mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs and Sheldon Keefe. Like, let's get as many points as possible while Marty Jones Definitely. is playing this way. Like, we're, we're waiting on the Dennis Hill to be start. I don't know if it'll ever come because Martin Jones just continues to put up Incredible numbers for this team. And, yeah, this is the excuse to put in a lesser goaltender against the worst team in the league Mm -hmm. and one of the worst teams we've ever seen. I mean, that was bad Saturday night, and it's been bad for the Sharks, but they're not, you know, taking any chances. They're going to try to accumulate as many points as possible because, let's let's, uh, face it, they left many on the board using Ilya Samsonov uh, in the last couple weeks and months. All right, lots of hockey on the network tonight. We are just talking Edmonton, Chicago. They're up on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1 at 8.30. And our host of Monday Night Hockey, David Amber, is going to join us next in studio. So we better take a break, let him get all set. Um, We're going to give you the NHL All-Star voting updates as well. Who's on the outside looking in, how you can vote. That's all next on the Fan Free Game. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the fan pregame, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ailish and Justin, as a reminder, at... 8.30, we got Edmonton and Chicago up on the network on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. We talked about the NHL All-Star voting. You have until Thursday. And, yes, of course, Mitch Marner is in the running. William Nylander is in the running. But there's a bit of a cutoff where Morgan Riley and John Tavares are below the top eight votes. So if you're wanting to know the latest updates, William Nylander leading all votes uh, at the top. Kale McCarr, Leon Dreisett, Elias Pettersson, Mitchell Marnell, Marner, <laughs> JT Miller, Brock Besser, or Temi Panarin, who has decided he won't be going. So if you go next in line, Miko Rantanen, the cutoff is there. Zach Hyman, Morgan Riley, John Tavares, Luke Hughes, et cetera, on the outside looking in. 
bit of a Canadian flavor, yeah, Justin. Yeah, it's a decidedly <laughs> Toronto, Vancouver, mm-hmm. Colorado feel. Well, the All-Star game is in Toronto, so. I, I, and I think that would be okay to have, you know, a couple more uh, Maple Leafs on there. But mm-hmm. if there end up being, like, five Canucks, is that going to be... Oh, well, the voters need to do their work, and uh, you can uh, you can keep voting until Thursday. And then, of course, four goaltenders will make it in. That's why I've only named eight skaters. Okay, David Amber joins us in studio, host of the NHL and Sports Center, Monday Night Hockey. Um, how's it going, David? Thanks for coming in. It's good. I, I should apologize. I, I don't have any makeup on. I came straight from oh, you look great. our change room. So for those watching <laughs> on TV, it's not a good scene. But, uh, oh, for those on. listening, hey, how you doing? <laughs> the voice is warmed up. That's all that matters. <laughs> Uh, we're talking, obviously, NHL All-Star. We'll just start with that as well. You mentioned it. We were just talking off the air. Big Canadian flavor. Do you think the Maple Leafs can get a couple more guys in there? Morgan Riley on the outside looking in. He's had a great season. Uh, looks like it's going to come down to the final, the wire here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think when you look at both the Leafs and the Canucks, there's a lot of players deserve it of being there. Um, Austin Matthews obviously was named, but if you look at the scoring leaders in the NHL, William Nylander's mm-hmm. right there, Mitch Marner's. You know, on the on the cusp, he's just a few <laughs> points behind Austin Matthews. And then when you mentioned all the Leafs, I mean, the Canucks too, right? When you said there could be five Canucks, but That's can we have that many? I mean, who doesn't <laughs> deserve to be there? Besser's right near the, the league lead in, in goals scored. JT Miller's been fantastic all year. Pedersen's one of the elite players. Uh, he's been there many times. And Thatcher Demko leading the goaltenders right Demko, now, and he definitely deserves to be there. So it, for the Vesna. So sometimes sure. uh, when you're having a great season, uh, it just yields all-stars. It, it should mm-hmm. make that much sense, uh, as much as it does. <laughs> uh, Edmonton will have at least one, uh, likely two, Connor McDavid uh, named and Leon Dreisaitl, likely on its way. We got them on the network tonight. Edmonton has completely turned things around, David. Uh, so when you sort of evaluate this year, the start that they had, the woeful start, turning things around with the coach. Is it a case of, yeah, we they are who we thought they were or the skeletons in the closet they may have exist from those first couple weeks? Uh, is that still top of mind for you when considering what this season might look like? I think this is the team we thought, right? This is the Edmonton Oilers team we thought. I mean, a lot of people had them picked. Many of the pundits out there picked them to win the Stanley Cup or to get to the Stanley Cup final. And then they got <laughs> off to that miserable start. And I think if one thing's been clear to see it's Connor McDavid was injured during the start of the year mm-hmm. like we were sort of hmm, he doesn't seem he as he doesn't seem as explosive as he used to be what's going on with 97 uh, <laughs> you know like there was this whole thing it's like well duh he's definitely hurt and he's definitely healthy now and he's playing like the rock star that he is mm-hmm. and I think you know Jay Woodcroft you know in a way got caught in the crosshairs they got off to that miserable start they were 31st in the NHL the panic button had set in with their fans mm-hmm. the panic button had set in with the with many members of the media and the stakes are too high. This wasn't a like, oh, hopefully we'll make the playoffs. This is, yeah, we not just need to make the playoffs. We need to do something in the playoffs. Okay. We don't have time to, to figure this out. The easy move or the, the simplest move was to, to change coaches. And Jay Woodcroft was the benefactor of that two years ago when it was Dave Tippett in the same crosshairs <laughs> at Christmas time and the team was flailing outside the playoff spot and Woodcroft came in, pushed all the right buttons. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Chris Knobloch done the same thing. Yeah, Justin uh, had some stats before he brought you on. 17-6 and six since the coaching mm-hmm. change, uh, McDavid being the league's most productive player again, but he still got a little bit of ground to catch. Uh, McKinnon, of course, in that Hart Trophy race, he's been unbelievable. And I think we don't cover him really enough here because, you know, he's on the West Coast and he's in Colorado and we got McDavid, McDavid, McDavid. But how hard do you think it will be for him to catch up to where McKinnon is and possibly take that hard trophy from him oh he's in the conversation mm-hmm. and if Edmonton keeps moving up the Western Conference standings which I anticipate they will right they're into the last wild card spot um, but you know they can sense the predators are right in <laughs> front of them and then the LA Kings are within reach too LA's had a bit of a sputter 
and here come the Edmonton Oilers. Are they going to win the division? Are they going to catch Vancouver or, or Vegas? You know, that's a, a tall order. Um, but, you know, if they get to where, you know, they're third in the Pacific and 105 points mm-hmm. after their dismal start and Connor McDavid wins another Art <laughs> Ross, uh, of course he'd be in, in massive consideration. I mean, he is the best player in hockey and that's definitive. And that's not to take anything away from Nathan McKinnon or Kucherov mm-hmm. or some of the other great players out there. You know, Quinn Hughes will probably get some consideration. There's a lot of really good uh, possibilities. If Austin Matthews scores 70 goals, you True. know, that would be a big consideration as well. So there's a lot to be determined, but McDavid's in the conversation mm-hmm. again. Uh, definitely. Uh, and if he plays the way he has, it's going to be hard to deny him uh, another Hart Trophy. Uh, maybe in the conversation in the future will be Connor Bedard. Unfortunately, we will not see him tonight uh, due to the broken jaw, the injury. He may not be at the All-Star game despite being selected uh, in the initial uh, polling. Uh, but you look at this Blackhawks team now, David, it almost says more about Bedard's start where it's just like, wow, he really wasn't working with much, and yet he had sort of the impact that we were expecting. Uh, how would you grade what you saw out of him in in the first couple months and weeks that he was healthy and playing pretty good hockey for the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, everything we anticipated and more, <laughs> right? Like, not only did he put up the numbers, let all rookies, 15 goals, 33 points. Again, he did it shorthanded on that Chicago team. Uh, above and beyond that, think about all the pressure on a night-in-night basis, mm-hmm. night-in-night-out basis. There was one game I was watching where he did three interviews. He did, like, a bench interview. <laughs> he did, like, a walk-in interview. He did a between-the-periods uh, interview um, and then a post-game. I'm like, holy crap, this kid's 18. That's our right? fault. <laughs> yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah. But, but good on him, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I remember actually when the Leafs had a, a number of great rookies, Marner and Matthews, mm-hmm. and, you know, Lou Lamarillo was running the show then, and he was like, you can't interview the rookies, period. So Austin Matthews in his very first NHL game scores four goals and we're, we're pulling in, you know, <laughs> Travis Boyd or whatever. Hey, talk about Austin Matthews. It was the craziest thing ever. But they wanted to shelter them from some of that media glare. And that hasn't mm-hmm. happened for Bedard. He's handled it all like a complete pro, not like a, a teenager just sort of getting his feet wet in the league. He's been absolutely phenomenal. If you want to, we just talked about McDavid. If you want to compare Bedard mm-hmm. to McDavid, and I'm not going to, you know, not going to do that quite yet. But it's funny, McDavid broke his clavicle in his yeah. rookie year, and he mm-hmm. suffered an extended lengthy uh, injury, right? Um, so I, the one thing that's curious about the Bedard things, we haven't heard like two to four weeks, four to six mm. weeks. Sometimes a guy breaks a jaw and, you know, misses a couple of games. They put on the cage, they wire it, and, and he goes out there. You know, if I'm Chicago, I'm not rushing him out there, yeah. right? There's not really a point. In fact, the worse they do mm-hmm. probably is the better, right, in, in some ways. But um, I do wonder if he'll be able to, to – make it to the NHL All-Star game. And I do wonder if he'll be able to do any interviews <laughs> if he does make it to the NHL All-Star game. That's an easy out. I can't open my jaw. Yeah, leave you. me alone. So <laughs> I, honestly, breaking a jaw might be like the, oh, like it, it hurts my stomach even thinking about it. Like you're just drinking smoothies, which I'd be okay with. But yeah, it's a- Steak it's a, smoothies though. Steak smoothies. <laughs> like, oh, we just had Buchlon and he's telling us what he's making for dinner. Steak smoothies, definitely not on the menu tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if Connor Bedard can't go to the All-Star game, they're going to have to pick someone else. Thin roster. But it kind of got me thinking- to ask you this is do you like having everyone have a representative is this maybe the time they say maybe there's nobody from chicago maybe we bend the rules and we tiptoe into the world where the best of the best get to go you know what Ailish? that's a great question and we find this every year Mm -hmm. right because there's going to be someone who's omitted and then you're going to look down the roster and go well how did this player on this last place team who hasn't really done too much why is that person there and not X. Yeah. Uh, we have that conversation. I understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to have representation. You want to have the fans from every market represented. You know, I'm a baseball fan, and it used to be so great when the Jays would have one or two or yeah. three guys at the All-Star 
game, and that would be who you're fixated on. You wouldn't be thinking about the, the players on the other teams. You'd be like, our guys, they're representing us. So I get it. Uh, you know, theoretically, it all makes sense, but there's going to be some omissions. There's going to be some question marks. Um, but that's the format for now. I'm excited for this player draft. I'll be oh, yeah. hosting the player draft oh, alongside amazing. John Buchagras on the Thursday night. Oh, cool. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun because it'll be celebrities and the captains picking the players. We don't know who the celebrities are. Yeah. We're all thinking it's going to be, you know, Justin Bieber yeah, or something probably. like that. But, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, there's going to be a little bit of drama there. Mm-hmm. And, and someone's going to be the last guy chosen or however it's going to work. And it's going <laughs> to be that whole drama surrounding that. So it'll be fun. Yeah, we were trying to get the secrets out of Steve Mayer last week. Uh, and he said that, you know, there'd be something to deal yeah, with the did. last player chosen mm-hmm. thing. So, well, you, wouldn't tell you, us, you might but... have the information. You I don't. Know, I but, wish uh, I'm going to hopefully get it soon, though. <laughs> yeah, I feel like under lock and key, they're keeping yeah. that pretty uh, close to the vest. Uh, last night, the Vancouver Canucks got pretty big statement win mm-hmm. uh, on Broadway. Uh, they seem to be... You know, I think everyone was kind of calling for the demise. Hey, it's going to happen here. They're going to slow down the regression thing. It's going to hit them over the head. But it just hasn't worked out that way. And now that we have the William Nylander data point in terms of uh, how much money he's going to be making for eight years, 11.5. I mean, my mind goes to Elias Pettersson. He is a restricted free agent, but he could probably bargain or he could probably negotiate for a little bit more if all things were equal how do you think the Nylander negotiation affects the Pedersen conversation? Uh, I think there'll be some comparables there. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if I'm JP Barry and CAA, I'm sure I'm sitting there and saying, well, hold on a second. So 11.5 for Nylander. Pedersen's younger. Pedersen can play center and play center and can play wing, obviously. Uh, Pedersen has put up more points, you know, year by year than Nylander. And Pedersen also will play special teams. He'll play shorthanded as well. You don't often see William Nylander in that situation. And that's not to to take away anything from William Nylander, who's been sensational this Mm -hmm. year. But those would be some of the talking points. If 11.5 is going to this guy, well, here's my guy. Um, You know, the younger part is significant. Because if you are going to do an eight-year term, the end of William Nylander's contract will be 36. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be a Sidney Crosby 36, and you'll be happy with it. Maybe it won't be a a (laughs) Sidney Crosby 36. We've seen guys... Sort of at 33, 34, sometimes take a, a precipitous, you know, nosedive as far as their performance level. Whereas Pedersen, if they sign him to an eight-year deal, he's an RFA, uh, he'll, he'll finish that deal at, at 34. So there's a lot of, you know, we talked about that last night on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. We'll probably talk about it tonight. I'm working with uh, Jamal Mayer and Luke Gazdick. We're coming up. We'll have the Canucks intermissions, Oilers intermissions, Flames intermissions. Um, so I think that's going to be a talking point, and I think that that might be the big comparable uh, not just how it's going to affect Mitch Marner, which obviously locally here mm-hmm. in Toronto is a big conversation piece, but how's it going to affect players around the league, including Pedersen? Pedersen might be wise to do the the Matthews strategy, which is to you know try to maybe go a little bit shorter term, four years, and try to make your case for another eight-year deal at the end of that. Uh, maybe Nylander being a little older kind of prevents him from going that strategy. I thought you were going to say the Matthew strategy scores 60 goals. And, and, and <laughs> that that helps too, right? Do the 60 goals and then just four years on the contract. <laughs> and I, I think he's got the uh, maximum earning potential there. You're talking about how good that game was last night. Well, back-to-back games with the Canucks. They put the lotto line together. And they've got eight goals and eight assists in two games. And, I mean, this might be hyperbole, but you watch that. It's like the best line in hockey right now. They might be just hitting all the right numbers. Oh, that was a good lotto joke. <laughs> they hit the jackpot, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there you go. Um, so you look at those three, and, I mean, their depth behind that isn't super great. But can they afford to, like, let this run for a little bit and have some fun with them? Well, I'm interested to hear what Rick talked I mean, it's hard to pull them apart now, right? They've had yeah. 16 points in two Amazing. games, two victories on the road. They go into the island. Uh, tonight they're not going to have last change obviously but that's a pretty good weapon to have at your disposal if you're rick tockett to be able to put those three guys together you know three guys will, will probably be seen at the all-star game mm-hmm. working together and they they're so fierce you know 
they're playing such a great brand of hockey. They have this identity. And you asked about, you know, are they going to start to slip? Are they going to start to regress? And we'll ask, you know, Jamal and Luke about that. But I don't see that. I really don't see that happening. I see them taking on this great identity. They have this fantastic goalie. And Patrick Alvine, Jim Rutherford, and the whole, you know, their, their whole management team deserve a lot of credit because they addressed, they made some hard decisions, right? They got rid of OEL. They're eating that contract. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, made some really smart, shrewd pickups. You know, Casey DeSmith, who we'll see in net tonight, that's a really shrewd pickup as a backup goaltending to, goaltender to give a little, you know, help to, uh, to Thatcher Demko. Mm-hmm. You know, they addressed their shorthand. They, their blue line has a completely different look than a year ago. And then, as you mentioned, the lotto line. <laughs> This is just such a great, you know, weapon to be able to have. And we'll see if Rick Tockett's going to stick with him. I imagine it's hard to pull him apart yeah. after those two games. But, you know, he said it's going to be situational. So mm-hmm. some games I'm sure we'll see them together. And some games will say, no, I want to spread it out a little bit. Uh, another shrewd offseason move seemed to be uh, signing or extending Connor Hellebuck uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, e- even with Andre Vasilevsky, you see the dangers of going uh, big money, big term, uh, which is crazy to say. With Andre Vasilevsky, who's largely considered, you know, the standard at that position and I know Connor Hellebuck's not there yet in terms of like the wear and tear, but he seems like he might be the exception to the rule DA in terms of signing goaltenders. And I know the money's not the same as Vasilevsky, but Connor Hellebuck this year, and and, and we're talking about like how could you how could you mess with this good thing? It just feels like he he is in no way prime for a setback. He looks like he's going to be full value on that contract, and he has been this year. But also in, in the short term future, here is he the exception? To the rule on goaltenders for you, is he that good, Connor Hellebuck? It seems like the more you play him, the better he is. Uh, he's played the most games. He's made the most starts over the last five years. He's faced the most shots uh, and consistently, and he's won a Vesna along the way. Um, I'm sure they're going to maybe try, depending on where they are in the in the standings, they are maybe going to hope to rest them if they can. They might not have that luxury, though. You have Colorado, you have <laughs> Dallas. You know, They're right now the top team in the NHL, but there's five or six teams literally breathing down their back a point or two out. Uh, for the president's trophy, you know, leading the way. Um, but he seems to be that guy. He just feeds off playing. Um, he doesn't wear down. He has a strong mental game. And I'm glad you brought up the Jets because, man, they they just seem to have found themselves mm-hmm. right now. And Kevin Sheveldayoff, just like we're talking about the Canucks management, Sheveldayoff deserves a ton of credit. What was the narrative in the summer? <laughs> well, Shifley, what's going to happen there? Yeah. Hellebuck, what's going to happen there, right? Um you looked at the team. You had all these question marks. They get rid of Wheeler. Uh, they trade Dubois. They have more balance. They have more depth. They have a great identity. Mm-hmm. They have this head coach and Rick Bonus that just seems to pull all mm-hmm. the right strings, and it's been it's amazing. They grind you out, kind of like the Florida Panthers did last year. They're fearless. That third line with Appleton and Larry and Nita Ryder is probably the best third line in hockey, and the fact that they could sign Hellebuck and Shifley, you know, Winnipeg's, that has that whole reputation. Mm-hmm. No one wants to play there. No one wants to play there. Well, they're, they're re-signing a couple of really big names, and um, that's really good news for the and Jets. And fans are coming back, too. That's it's winning. It's funny. Good. Winning <laughs> solves a lot of problems, right? It sure mm. does. Uh, we'll let you go because I know you got uh, about an hour and 15 minutes till you're up on the panel tonight. On Sportsnet, we've got Edmonton and Chicago. And a very special hello to Phyllis Amber, oh. who's tuning in. Hey, Mom. Oh, very <laughs> our, our proud supporters are, are, are everywhere watching us. Uh, we'll let you go, David. We really appreciate you coming on, though. And uh, enjoy tonight's games. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, enjoy the show. And, uh, yeah, we have, what, 10 games on tap. A lot of Canadian Ooh. teams should be a lot of fun. We'll definitely keep teeing that up. All right. Thanks, Amber. Appreciate it very much. Okay, so tonight, as we said, Edmonton and Chicago up at 8.30. Uh, puck drop. They'll be on Hockey Central at 8 p.m. Regionally, we got Vancouver and the Islanders at 7.30. Ottawa and Calgary at 9 p.m. All right. Um, 
We got a little bit of time here for a quick Raptors discussion. They're obviously on the road on the West Coast swing here, Toronto. And the Lakers tonight, that's on Sports at 590, the fan at 10 p.m. So a late one for the folks. Uh, poor uh, Will Lou and the Raptors pod doing a late one tonight. Mm-hmm. But Paul George um, from Podcast P, that's not Spicy P's podcast, but Podcast P, was talking about Spicy P, Siakam, and Jonathan Kaminga, and speaking about how that would be a great trade, a great deal between both teams. And, uh, you know, the Warriors been floated in some discussions. He's saying that maybe this too could be a little bit of a switcheroo. So let's play that clip and we'll discuss Paul George from Podcast P. I saw them put in Pascal and Kaminga in a trade. And I thought about it and I was like, that's a win for both sides. Like, obviously, Golden State would have to add more just from contract um, meeting up. But that that is a, a trade that works for both sides. Because Pascal, like, the reason he was good with that, you know, team, obviously Kawhi was a big factor um, into the reason they won. But I, I think he can be a one option, number one option, but that's not where he's that, – that's not where he's the best at. You know, right. I think him being the second, third option is where he can really shine because he's a guy that can do a little bit of everything. You know, he can defend, you know, he finishes, he can shoot the three ball. Like, he he can do a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. and I think it works perfectly playing with Steph, playing with Clay. They spread the floor. He can rebound. He can play make. So I, I, I saw that trade, and I was like, that, that damn, that, that really works for both sides. And then Kaminga coming into his own – Toronto's kind of in this rebuild, but ready to get better and win now mode right now. They just traded for RJ uh, quickly. Those are young guards. They have Scotty Barnes there now. Um, And then you add another young guy like Kaminga. That could be a fun team. You in on the trade? You not in on the trade? Uh, Just first off, I mean, Paul George, it's pretty remarkable. Like uh, even five, ten years ago, having a guy who's actively in the league, a star in this league, like breaking down rumored trades is so eloquently <laughs> as well, right? Like he's just, can we just get him on a panel now? Let's get him on he's, the show. He's definitely uh, ready to go for the next part of his career. But yeah, I mean, I think if the only problem is, I don't know if he looked at it from every single angle. It's and a win he, for the Golden State Warriors. It's definitely a win for the Golden State Warriors because I agree Pascal Siakam would, would work mm-hmm. out perfectly there, at least as a, a running mate with uh, Steph Curry. And he did mention that you'd have to throw in more salary mm-hmm. on the Warriors' side for the Raptors in order for it to work. But I think that's the thing he overlooks because I think the Raptors did the deal where they take back salary and they tried to find a happy medium with that being R.J. Barrett, who yeah. was in New York maybe getting paid too much and maybe in league circles not the greatest asset because he's paid a, a good amount of money. But I just don't think the Raptors can take back money. And, and unfortunately, in a deal with the Warriors – You'd have to take back money. It'd have to be Andrew Wiggins probably in another two years after this one mm. of Wiggins. And I just don't think you can throw Wiggins into this mix. But he's another Canadian. He is another Canadian. That's but, what we're doing, I, collecting I, them like I, infinity I, stones. I think you've used that card with Barrett. You've used the Canadian card. <laughs> you have. And you used the you know pretty high-priced asset who might be a little bit distressed and use them in one card. Like I don't, I don't think you can do that again and expect everything that you're trying to do to work. So, yeah, maybe on Kaminga, but I don't think they can take back the salary to make that work. I don't love bringing in a 21-year-old who said he lost faith in Steve Kerr, who's like a Hall of Fame coach, 
Maybe, so maybe he has reason to, though. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, we're vibes, vibes central. That's what Darko's whole plan is here. That's and fair. if you're bringing a disgruntled young kid in, like, maybe that's a positive way for him to have a new start. Start, But that's the last thing I heard about Jonathan Kaminga before this was that he's losing faith in, you know, his head coach who's won countless countless titles anyway um and i also think probably a better shooter is something that the raptors should be targeting and i wouldn't say that he's at the top of my list in terms of that we only have another minute or two um best bets for tonight can come from anything mine's going to come from toronto maple leafs game william nylander is a man for the moment he knows exactly Mm, when his name is trending when elliot friedman goes on you know, Saturday headlines and says that Willie's probably going to sign a contract and then Willie goes out and scores two goals in the next period. The guy just made history. He signed the richest deal in Toronto Maple Leafs history. I say he comes out and I got two plays for you. Either first goal tonight plus 550 or a William Nylander hat trick because if he's going to show Scotiabank Arena that they signed the right guy for long term, he's putting the puck in the net three times tonight. That's plus 2,500. Uh, yeah, you're right about Willie uh, <laughs> being someone that's made for the moment. And, and when when the spotlight is on him, he just seems to deliver. I, I think those are good ones, although you can't quit those first goal props. You just you just love them. You got to play one them. One will you, hit, you, and you, I'll you, feel like a genius. You will, but it's only 550, so you got to hit uh, one of every five at least. Uh, I'm going to the Oilers game. Uh, they're mm. uh, in Chicago to play the Connor Bedardless Blackhawks. I, I think it's going to be an Oilers night. I, I, I think you get that effort. And they did give that effort when you lose a player like Connor Bedard. You you get that like, okay, we're going to be fine or we got to be at our best. Mm-hmm. And they were. They were pretty good. They they were uh, very competitive in the, the Calgary game that uh, Jason Bukula mentioned and frustratingly so. But I think this is where it falls off. One game after you have that, okay, we got to rally the troops game. That's when it falls off. Oilers minus two and a half, minus 110. Play them all the way up to minus four and a half, plus 400. Okay. And also, I'm adding a Super Bowl MVP future early. Christian McCaffrey to win Super Bowl MVP plus a thousand just just to get it started. Okay, I'm going to give you a piece of tidbit from Sports and Stats on Twitter. Connor McDavid has gotten multiple points in each of his last five games against the Blackhawks and has 16 points during a seven-game point streak. So if you're going to go Oilers puck line heavy, maybe it's a uh, maybe Connor te- McDavid maybe tease parlay. It to five and a half. There based you go. On that stat. Um, all right, that was a fun one on the fan pregame. Thanks to our lovely guests Jason and David, and we'll be back tomorrow.